0: You're listening to The 66 Podcast, where we survey the books of the Bible, one book at a time. We are excited today to start a new book. We're in the New Testament now, having done a 12-part series on the book of Jeremiah, and we are studying the book of Romans, which is one that we've been talking about doing for a while. We have been very excited to do it, and by we, I mean myself, Drew Kaiser, and uh, my co-host Andrew Kingsley and so uh, we are getting started into the book of Romans and you know Andrew I think a lot of people think of Romans as the book that best summarizes the gospel it's not to say that it's the only book of the Bible that we need or that we should whittle the Bible down to the book of Romans it's not saying that but if you were stranded on a desert island and you had to choose one of the 66 books of the Mm -hmm. Bible a lot of people would make this their choice yeah um, some because it's their favorite book, but some because they know that it encapsulizes well the, uh, is that a word, encapsulize? Encapsulates? Sure. It is now. Encapsulates. I like encapsulize. encapsulizes. That sounds better. Uh, the, the gospel in a way that other books may not be able to. So, you know, it has doctrinal stuff, practical stuff, philosophical stuff. It's all in here in a you know relatively short book, 16 yeah. chapters. Uh, easy to outline, which is another thing that we're mm-hmm. looking forward to after having been through Jeremiah. Oh, yeah. uh, Paul is very structured in his, mm-hmm. even though this is a letter, very structured. Yeah. So uh, we're going to see a lot of differences, even contrasts, as we look at Romans versus Jeremiah, assuming that you are following us in the order that we're recording these. Mm-hmm. You may be listening years from, from the recording and just cherry-picking what you want. This may be the first podcast, but uh, we are excited to get into this. It's a change for us, and uh, mm-hmm. Andrew's going to handle our reading for today. Yeah, today so we.
1: Yeah, we're going to be in chapter 1, verses 1 through 17 today. And like you said, Romans outlines itself, really, and it does it very nicely. And there's a lot of different ways you can outline it because uh, there are so many different key themes and uh, key words throughout the book. And all these thoughts flow together. You'll notice at the beginning of most of these paragraphs, you'll find some kind of connecting word, uh, maybe for, therefore, so, something like that that lets you know that this paragraph that you're about to read Uh, is based upon the paragraph that you just read. And Paul's like that in a lot of his books, but none more so than Romans. Romans is called a carefully crafted uh, thesis by a lot of people. Uh, And it's Paul really trying to prove what righteousness is. I I like how you put it. It's like the gospel. um, Really, I guess, uh, the theological implications of the gospel and what all... The sacrifice of Christ has done. Did um, I say that? Yeah, with the gospel, you said it's like okay. a, a summarization of. <laughs> you're yeah, right. Right. Summarization. I was just There's thinking you're
0: you're coming up with something oh, yeah. better than what I said and attributing it to <laughs> me. It and it, I yeah. appreciate that, but this is a recording; they can rewind and.
1: Well, either yeah. way, regardless, it's uh, you know Paul's gospel is what this has been called, or what right. I found has been called a lot. Yeah. Um, and we're gonna follow this theme of righteousness throughout the book. And we're gonna find the, what I think is the thesis, uh, sentence of this entire book today. But we're gonna follow it along the, uh, theme of righteousness. And today we're just doing the introduction. We're gonna go through these first 17 verses and talk about some, you know, author, recipient, all that kind of stuff. And then we'll get into the outline, which is righteousness apart from God, righteousness through faith, righteousness through death, righteousness for Jew and Gentile, righteousness through renewal, and then we'll get to the conclusion of the letter. Uh, So just so you can have that big framework in your mind as we get going, but we're going to start with Romans 1 and verse 1, which starts the way pretty much all of Paul's letters start. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. The beginning of this outlines like you might expect to see from Paul. You've got his greeting explaining who he is, then you have who he's writing it to, and then you have this big Thanksgiving section where he reveals he wants to go to Rome, and then we get into the thesis statement, and I've outlined this um, like this to make it easier. First you have concerning Paul, and that's in verse 1, what we just read. Then we have concerning Christ, and that's in verses 2 through six, If you're uh, in a place where you can read along with your Bible, you can see this. If you're driving or something, I'll read this for you. Uh, so Paul is an apostle. Verse 2. Which he promised before him through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who is descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith, for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So Paul, as he opens up, it's kind of neat to see Paul, you know, says I, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. And then we have all this stuff about Jesus. So Paul, in introducing himself, has really introduced Jesus more than he's introduced himself. Um, while there's a lot of weighty things here about the gospel, a lot of really significant, important things. What we want to do for now is kind of catch the theme of Romans itself, rather than to dig down into these few verses as we start off. We usually do that in the second section anyway. But you have here a really short summary, really, of the whole story of Jesus. Prophesied by the prophets, Uh, he's the son of God, he dies, he is raised up by the power of God through the Holy Spirit, and now we are all called to belong to him. So there's the concerning Paul and concerning Jesus. Then starting with verse 7, we get... This little uh, tidbit about the Romans. Verse 7, To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then these next verses from 8 to 15, he reveals that he wants to go to Rome. And also, even more importantly than that, let's read verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, for your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Now, why their faith? was so, I guess, popular, for lack of a better word, or renowned. How everyone knew about their faith, we'll talk about in the next section. We'll also talk about kind of where this church came from, uh, the origins of the church in Rome, because there's a lot of speculation there uh, and having to do with Peter as being the first pope. So pretty interesting stuff there we'll talk about in the next section. But for now, um, we have this church in Rome that Paul is writing to. He wants to go there. Their faith is uh, very renowned, very well known, so we have that tidbit about the Romans there. And then finally, we have this little section concerning the gospel in verses 16 and 17, and this is what's going to get us into the uh, the meat of the book. This is a transitional paragraph here, it's just uh, two sentences in Greek, uh, so there's not uh, not much by way of introduction here. There's a lot packed into it, but we get here, and this is the transition. I'm going to start reading in verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And that last sentence there, the righteous shall live by faith, is what we're going to use as the thesis statement for this whole letter. And that is a quote of Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4. And there's some question there as to what exactly are we saying we're going to survive by faith or we're going to live a lifestyle of faith. Uh, What we're looking at here most likely is we're going to actually, uh, well, both is probably implied.
0: Right, yeah.
1: But as we read through the book, you're going to see that uh, there's a heavy emphasis on actually um, you know, surviving almost surviving is not the right word, but we're talking about having life in Christ here. Right. You know, you so, will...
0: You mean salvation, right? When you say survive, mm-hmm. so like living. Um, how did you put it? Living by faith would be like Second Corinthians five seven. We walk by faith, not by sight. Yeah, that's one interpretation of it. Uh, we follow the rules of faith, the life of faith, in the way that we live. And the other possible interpretation is justification by faith. In other words, salvation in Christ through faith. And, uh, you know, I think this is a case of the economy of words, mm-hmm. where Paul is using a well-known prophecy from Habakkuk, and he is um, using all the layers involved. Yeah. Because really, the, the one of the interpretations summarizes chapters 1 through 11 and mm-hmm. the other interpretation summarizes chapters 12 through 16. yeah so it's a great mm-hmm. theme because it does do all of that work in those few words
1: yeah there are several outlines for the book uh, that I found that are actually right along those lines you said they have those first 11 chapters as um, was it doctrinal yeah it's and like then a yeah. 12 to the end is practical yeah uh, so yeah that's a that's a really good way to look at it Uh, And it also divides up that phrase for us. Um, So that's the reading. You got any more comments? It's kind of a short reading today, but it's only 17 verses.
0: Right. Um, Yeah, I think think, uh, we want to save our time because we have a lot to discuss in the next few parts that come up.
1: Okay, so as we come back to dig a little bit deeper into these 17 verses that we've looked at, first thing we want to stop to get into is in verse 7, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. We want to give you a little bit of background on the church that is in Rome. Uh, There's a lot of debate. Catholics believe that this um, church in Rome was founded by Peter and that he served as the... Bishop there, or rather, is the first pope there for 25 years. Um, And so, Paul here, the idea would be Paul's writing to a church with Peter as the pope, right? According to uh, that line of thought. Yeah. Uh, Or at least that's what I've found.
0: Yeah, I don't know exactly how they work all that out, or where they got the 25 years from, or -hmm. where they think Peter is here. I mean, you know, one glaring problem with that idea is that he doesn't say anything about Peter in this whole letter.
1: Right, yeah, and at the end of the book there's all those he says greet so-and-so and so-and-so and goes through and through Priscilla and Aquila are mentioned there. Right, um, so some
0: familiar characters. Yeah. But no uh, Peter.
1: <laughs> and it right. seems odd that he wouldn't have included He's, Peter.
0: I mean, I am confident that Peter is not with the church at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, here, it doesn't look like it well you know i think verse 11 seals it up because paul is talking about how he would like to come visit them and one of the reasons he'd like to come visit them is to be encouraged by them um mutually encouraged you know by their faith yours and mine but in verse 11 he says that he wants to see them so that he might impart some spiritual gift to strengthen them and spiritual gift is is miracle in paul's um, language, you know, that's the term that he uses in First Corinthians twelve through fourteen. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know that the only way that spiritual gifts were imparted were through the laying on of apostles' hands. And Peter was one of the few examples we have of that happening. Mm-hmm. Paul is another. We see him doing that in Acts nineteen. We see Peter doing it in um, Acts chapter eight. Yeah. Uh, he and John are called to Samaria from Jerusalem because Philip has, you know, converted a number of Samaritans to the gospel, one of them Simon the sorcerer, but Philip is not an apostle, so he is unable to lay his hands on people and impart spiritual gifts. So he calls for Peter and John. They come, they lay their hands on people and impart the ability to work miracles, and Simon sees this, and he wants not just the ability to work miracles, which he probably had received from Peter and John, But he wanted the ability to impart the miraculous gifts, Mm -hmm. which illustrates that only apostles could do this. He was condemned for that, by the way. Now, you know, if Peter had established this church himself, and he was a bishop at this time over the church at Rome, why is Paul talking about, you know, first of all, why isn't he mentioning Peter? We already Mm -hmm. said that. But then also... Why is he discussing that he longs to see them so that he might get over there and impart spiritual gifts? We have seen Peter do that. Mm -hmm. If he's there, why is Paul wanting to do that? It just doesn't add up.
1: It also seems odd that he would write this, you know, this big, deep theological letter about what salvation is if Peter was over there.
0: Well, that's true, yeah. I hadn't thought about that. It seems that they wouldn't really... They got a pretty good preacher already. Yeah,
1: yeah, they got some pretty good yeah. teaching coming in from Peter, um, and maybe this will kind of add to it too. The date of when Romans was written It's probably written around A.D. fifty-seven. Um, within a year or two of that, I think is what we can we can be confident that it's from any time from about uh, fifty-six to actually fifty-nine. So maybe not a couple years, three years there, uh, but it's written around that time. Um, Romans 15, 22 to 29, um, makes it clear that Paul is near the end of his third missionary journey. He starts talking about his plans, yeah. uh, where he wants to go. Uh, he says he is uh, he's going to be passing through there as he goes on to Spain, uh, but right now he has to go to Jerusalem. Um, so we can pretty much pinpoint where Paul's at. Yeah.
0: It's before his arrest... Before right. He's able to even gather up all of the collection for the saints. And so he's, uh, he's, he's working on that. Yeah. So and sometime before Acts chapter 21.
1: Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, if you want to line it up with Acts, you're looking at about Acts chapter 20. And in fact, a lot of uh, commentators, scholars put him in the time frame of Acts chapter 20 and verse 3. Where Paul is staying in Greece, it says he stays in Greece for three months, uh, during the winter. So, and then you have another, uh, passage in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 6 where Paul says, I'm planning to come and stay with you. I might even stay for the whole winter. So hmm. this could be, okay. you know, Paul could have written it from Corinth at this hmm. time at the end of his third missionary journey, uh, which will probably not put Peter in Rome yet, quite right. at that time. Right. Uh, Peter's probably, now we Likely. know that
0: Peter did work with Rome. Right. I mean, it was pretty good indication of it mm-hmm. because of First Peter chapter five verse thirteen. I don't know if that's yeah. what you're thinking of, but yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking. It's about. still it's still not all the way evidence, you know, because he says something mm-hmm. really cryptic. She who is in Babylon greets you. You're like, "Okay, is she a woman or is she the church?" Mm-hmm. And then is Babylon Babylon or is it Rome?
1: Yeah, or just it, any Roman city. For
0: uh, that yeah, matter. or, or yeah. is it any other city? The book of Revelation makes Babylon, you know, a familiar symbol for the city of Rome. So, I right. believe he's talking about the church at Rome there, but I think that a lot of people, you know, and I'm I'm one of them, believe that 1st Peter was written around the end of Peter's life 62 yeah. through 64 somewhere in there you say this letter was written 57 so it's feasible in fact it's probable that, that Paul wrote this before Peter had ever come to the church at Rome
1: yeah and there's uh, there's some evidence for that in uh, the early church leaders Irenaeus um, he actually mentions Peter and Paul both as together working with the church in Rome and um, and also there's a tradition that has Peter in the church in Rome. So he probably he does wind up in Rome at some point, but uh, Paul hasn't been there yet, obviously. Now, right. We kind of skimmed over this in the reading. But this is pretty important, I think. Paul has never visited these Christians in Rome. Um, we can read in verse 9, "...for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of the Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will..." I may now at last succeed in coming to you. So he hasn't been there yet, uh, and he wants to go, and you mentioned because he wants to give him that spiritual gift. Uh, So real quick as we wrap this little question up, where did the church in Rome come from? Well, it most likely came from uh, the day of Pentecost. There were Jewish people there from all over. Uh, Likely there are some people there from Rome.
0: Well, Luke says there were some from Rome.
1: Yeah, Roman Christians. Yeah, that's right. Uh, um, Acts or chapter Jewish two, Romans. verse ten. Yeah, I've
0: got. Uh, so there were visitors from Rome. Yeah. Who heard the the sermon Peter preached? So, I guess in a sense, Peter had a hand in establishing the church at Rome and preaching mm-hmm. the sermon that many Romans responded to. But then they go home and plant the church. Yeah. You know, they go home from Jerusalem. So Peter because they're visiting have, for Pentecost. Of, you know, I don't know, you know. if we're, we're talking here, assuming everybody knows what we're talking about, but Acts chapter 2 has to do with the Feast of Pentecost celebrated in the city of Jerusalem. So their visitors from all over the world come to Jerusalem for this. And while they're there, they hear Peter preach this gospel sermon. Some of them are from Rome and some of them from other places. And all these people go back home. Mm -hmm. And they start worshiping God on the first day of the week with Christian people.
1: Yeah, like we mentioned, Priscilla and Aquila are among their number as well in Rome. So they could have gone back and certainly, but as far as the origins of the church, it's not really clear, uh, but likely what happens Mm -hmm. is those Jewish Christians uh, or those Jewish Romans went back to Rome um, and started the church there. So that was our first thing, the church. In Rome, and I think the next thing that we wanted to look at, Drew. Um, well, can
0: can I can I stay on this? Oh yeah, yeah. Peter Sorry. Pope thing. Yeah. So it. does it? You know, is it that big a deal? I I think it's very, very clear that this church began organically without an apostle visiting the city and starting the church, mm-hmm. and that it did well on its own without an apostle for many years, maybe the first decade. And then it seems like maybe Peter began working with them, but you know, does any of that matter? Uh, let's say, let's say Peter did start the church. We know Paul started a lot of churches. We so let's say Peter started the church. Does that validate the papacy? I think even if even if he did, you know, we grant the idea that against all the evidence that Peter started the church, does that validate the papacy? And I would say it doesn't because. You know, there's so many passages of scripture that talk about, you know, congregational structure, that the church was, you know, um, autonomous congregations, Mm -hmm. and that a plurality of elders led Mm e-congregation. You see that in Acts 14, 23. And then I think Peter's words are pretty condemning of that hierarchy in 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 5, where Peter addresses elders As a fellow elder. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to being an elder, which Peter was, in addition to being an apostle, he put himself on the same level as all other elders. That's what the phrase fellow elder indicates. So we can have this debate and you can lose the, if if you're in favor of the papacy, you lose the debate on the idea that Peter started the church at Rome. But you also lose mm-hmm. the debate on the papacy at all. It's not a biblical office. Yeah, it
1: doesn't hinge on whether or not Peter was in Rome or not.
0: Yeah. At the time of the writing yeah. of this letter. Yeah, I just wanted to make hinge. that clear because, yeah. you know, I didn't want anybody to think that if if you can prove that Peter was in Rome, or maybe they would say, well, so what? So he didn't start the church. It's clear that he was there early on. He was in Rome, Peter or Rome. Oh, Peter was the first pope. No. You know, yeah. it's... We can come at it from two different sides and yeah. show that there's a problem with that teaching.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I do think we might have been given that idea that that was the key to <laughs> yeah, yeah to uh, to taking down that sort of an idea, but it's not. Um, okay, so now are, are we ready to go? To yeah, I'll let, I'll let you move two? on okay. now. And uh, <laughs> don't let me skip anything here, but verse 16 is where I'm going. Okay. Um, Paul says. This is the verse everybody knows. And there's a lot of verses like this in Romans. Uh, this is one everybody knows. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. There's a lot of stuff wrapped up in that statement. I guess uh, we could pick a lot of things out here. Obviously, uh, this power of God for salvation, we're talking about God's uh, vehicle of salvation for all men. The, this is the culmination of the promise uh, that has been made long ago, uh, foreseen with Eve in the garden, really, all the way uh, from Abraham and then Isaac up to David up to now. Uh, this is the culmination of all that. It's God's solution, uh, his ability, really, to bring his people back to him again through Christ. Uh, so we have this power of God for salvation. And then we get to this statement, to the Jew first and also to the Greek well, why not to Jews and Greeks? Or to the Jew and also to the Greek? This word first, Drew, why do we have this word first in there?
0: Well, you know, it it is if if you're not familiar with the history of this whole system it does seem a little troubling And, and there's somewhere in Romans 2, I think it's verse 11 where Paul points out that God is no respecter of persons and Mm-hmm. Somebody would read that and, and compare that with verse 16 of chapter 1 and say, that's a contradiction because he's clearly respecting people. He's respecting the Jews over the Gentiles by bringing yeah. the gospel to them first. Um, I think there's a couple, some things that we need to calm down about here. One is, I believe that the patriarchal system took care of the Gentiles until the gospel reached them. Mm-hmm. So when Jesus himself refused to bring the gospel to the Gentiles during his ministry, I don't think he was leaving them in a lost state without any hope. Yeah. You know, they could become proselytes to the Jewish faith, they could use the patriarchal system, which mm-hmm. we'll get into a little, I think, in later episodes. Oh yeah. Even in Romans. So we we have to remember that until the gospel got to them, the patriarchal system was in place. And that's yeah. the system that was used by Adam and Noah and Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, up until Moses, and then only the Israelites, which is a very small fraction of the world. A couple million people out of the whole world's population, they had the Mosaic system, but the rest of the world was still operating under the patriarchal law. Yeah. Um, and then uh, coming back to something I said a moment ago, this is not Paul's system, this is Jesus' system. Right. Uh, We have this thing called the limited commission. And maybe you've heard that phrase before and you haven't understood what that means. The limited commission is limited as compared to the great commission. The great commission is going to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, Mark Mm -hmm. 16, 15, and 16. Um, The limited commission was given by Jesus to the 12 in Matthew 10... And in verses 5, he says, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And uh, there are other stories where like the Syrophoenician woman comes to Jesus for help and he's like, I'm here for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And she presses him and he does help her in the end, amazed Mm -hmm. by her faith. But, But he's there for the Jews. And there's really... You know, sensible reason for this, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to is. do all the talking. I, oh, well, I, 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 know I know you.
1: think you're doing a great job here. I almost hesitate to to interject. But no, the, but there, there's,
0: there's a very common sense reason for this.
1: Yeah. Now, the Jews are, and I think something you just mentioned go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And you have uh, Jesus with the parable of the lost sheep, you know, and he mentions how. Just one is important to him out of his flock, and going all the way back from the beginning, these people have been called to be his people. So, if we have a flock, his flock has been called to be the Jews this entire time. Uh, the Jews have been his people. Uh, I think there's a really uh, a really good quote here by a guy named Coy Roper to kind of to sum up what Paul is probably trying to bring up here. To the Jew first, Paul wants Gentiles to know that Jews have always had a special role in God's plan. And also to the Greek, Paul wants the Jews to know that God includes Greeks in his plan for man's salvation. And I think that's pretty good. Uh, this Jew first, there's the idea there of the Jews being God's people. Um, and then we have also this new thought here for the Greeks is, or for the Jews is, well, now the Greeks are allowed to have, be a part of God's people. Uh, it's kind of a new thought for them. But yeah. the, I think this primacy, I guess, for lack of a better word, of the Jews, uh, it's due to the fact that they've been called all the way from the beginning. It's not saying that Greeks and Gentiles are not important because they've always had the ability, like you mentioned, to proselytize over into the Jewish faith. Um well but there I is think, a...
0: yeah i I think you've answered the what you know the Jews are a special people, you know I was thinking about when the law was given on Mount Sinai in Exodus nineteen um you know the Lord is talking about his plan to make them verse five, my treasured possession among all peoples for mm-hmm. all the earth is mine, you're gonna be a special people that's that's the what of this. But the why, you know, I, I don't think that what, what you read there from Roper mm-hmm. goes into the why. And I think that's what's getting people scratching their heads. I mean, why no. why not, you know, other nations? Why mm-hmm. why make a particular race special? Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, we need to get into that a little bit. I think, um, you know, a lot of it had to do with the law of Moses God wanted Mm -hmm. to take a group of people, place more responsibility on them, not just more blessings, but more responsibilities on their shoulders, Mm -hmm. and shape them and have His Son come through them so that He would be from this special people. And then they would be ripe for evangelism. Mm -hmm. Um, because you know the Gentiles presented a challenge in that they didn't have the background of the law of Moses they didn't know about sin in the same sense that the Jews knew about sin they didn't know God's righteousness as Mm -hmm. well as the Jews knew God's righteousness and uh, God God's plan for the Jews was to have a nation who understood the righteousness of God who understood who God was and to understand how desperately they needed a savior Before the Christ should come so that when he came, they would be ripe for redemption. And unfortunately, many of them were not, but many of them were, you know, Mm -hmm. many of them were. So I think that's the why is um, he didn't school the entire universe on this, just this particular race of people. And I think in the book of Isaiah, you know, it's an Old Testament book, but in Isaiah, Isaiah talks to them about how they are to be a light for all the other nations. Yeah. Uh, They have this uh, responsibility that other nations don't have. Um, So, I don't know, maybe I'm rambling there, but I think, I think while, yeah, you know, it's it's enough to say they're God's special people, we don't talk about why enough, and I think it's that, you know, he was preparing them not just to bring Christ into the world, but also to be ready to receive the gospel. Yeah. Because the gospel is a big counterintuitive thing, Mm -hmm. you know, and to understand why God would have to have a substitutionary sacrifice for all of mankind, you need all of this background that you have in the Old Testament.
1: Yeah. I think also it's interesting along those lines to point out nobody is going to know that probably more so than Paul. Or, you know, yeah. to a more fuller, uh, extent than Paul, I guess, because Paul was so wrapped up in Judaism. Right. You know, being a, a Hebrew of Hebrews, strictly sect of the Pharisees, yeah. yeah. And then going from that to this, you know, it's, I don't think we need to worry that Paul doesn't know what he's talking about, uh, especially all through Romans. We're going to have a lot more, uh, commentary on this even in the book about jews and greeks that's going to be a common theme uh, Mm of the old law how it relates to the new law what's happened to the old law Uh, that's going to be brought up over and over again and paul is i mean good night who's more qualified to discuss that than paul right uh knows the old law all the way through knows the new law as well having been called by jesus himself As he mentions, um, in verse one. Uh, so a lot of big stuff there with the Jews first and also the Greeks. Um, Mm -hmm. and then we have right after that another phrase that I think bears some discussion. Uh, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith.
0: Right. And this one's hard, not because of the, you know, problems it introduces. Mm -hmm. You know, the last one was hard to, to understand in the sense that it didn't quite match up with our expectations. But this one is just grammatically difficult to understand. Yeah, It's an interesting phase, uh, phrase. What is it in the ESV?
1: From faith for faith.
0: From faith for faith. I've heard yeah. it, um, you know, by faith into faith or yeah, from faith to faith. Yeah. I think it's the King James, which, you know, really has a good cadence to it. But what in the world does that mean? Um, I think literally the Greek is out of faith into faith.
1: Yeah, that's that's the literal there, and I think that kind of helps us out. I don't know do you if you drew that on a board. You more?
0: If you drew that on a board, you just get a circle. <laughs> yeah, it's like okay, here's faith. We're drawing it, uh, drawing the arrow out of faith, and well, here we come back around to faith <laughs> again. The faith, yeah. So what is that? Uh, you know,
1: well, I think there's there's a lot of different ideas here, and we'll see what you think about We might just scrap this and move back if I if you don't like what I'm about to say here. Um, but I think... Now, some of this... it I think it makes sense if we look at it according to belief in God comes from faith. Belief, I mean, yeah. that's really what it is. I mean, we say belief comes from faith. Well, belief and faith are the same, but I think it stands to reason that belief does come from faith. Um, so if we have... The righteousness of God is revealed from faith. So it is revealed uh, from that faith, that belief.
0: From whose faith?
1: From, well, here's the question. Is this being revealed, who's it being revealed to? The righteousness of God is revealed where, to whom, how? Well, if it's revealed to a person, if we're talking about revealed to you and me and to other folks, it's revealed to us through faith, really, uh, in a way, in our belief. And then that leads to, I'm pretty much just spouting out to you what I read in this commentary. Um, <laughs> uh, it but, leads to a life of faith. So I guess one way to look at this is you get, you get, uh, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith and it leads to faith. Okay. That you look like that does make a bit of sense. Man, it's okay, made a lot so of let sense me ask to me yesterday, uh, Okay, The yesterday first faith in that,
0: from faith, the first faith in your explanation is what?
1: The first faith. Whose faith is that? That's going to be the faith of the believer.
0: Okay, the second faith is also the faith of the believer. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about growth. Yeah. Okay, because I've yeah. heard that interpretation. Okay. So that's one interpretation. Okay, and you're gonna tell growth. me why it's wrong?
1: <laughs> no, I,
0: I think it's possible. I just think there are. Well, let's other hear interpretations. yours because I, I mean, let's well, hear I yours. see four interpretations. Okay, that's one of them. I'm confused growth already. <laughs> from from like, uh, so it'd be like from objective faith to subjective. No, it would be it would be from the person's faith until the into his active faith. It's it's a growth stage of growth. Yeah,
1: kind of from Here. belief to. To acting, to to trust and living. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. And then another possibility is from one believer to another. So that from the faith of this guy to the faith of this guy. Um, I don't really like that one, but that's, I've seen that interpretation. Another one is it talks about the primacy of faith or the supremacy of faith. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't even understand, you know, that one. But that, that's, that's maybe it's
1: from that phrase. Uh, The translation of from faith to faith Kind of Kind of I guess to say All of faith I don't know I can see I think uh, maybe
0: it kind of You know it's thinking about This um, phrase in Romans 4 Where Abraham What is it says He believed In hope he believed against hope You know Yeah. And maybe it's just a figure of speech That Paul used kind of like he did in Romans 4 Hope against hope Uh, faith to faith. It's just talking about the great faith. I don't like that one either. Now, one that is interesting to me, and um, I'm not saying it is the exact one. I don't know if we're going to really give you the exact interpretation, is the idea of it coming from the faith of God to the faith of men. So, okay, the faith of God being God's system of justification by faith, Mm -hmm. which leads to... Our faith. In other words, God had, He revealed justification by faith, which is something that was a mystery. Mm-hmm. It had to be revealed. So He revealed the system of salvation by faith through Jesus Christ, which causes men to believe. Faith comes from hearing. Hearing what?
1: The hearing God, the yeah.
0: justification by faith that's in the Word of God, or the Word of Christ, Romans yeah. 10 17. So that is probably, I think, your your interpretation, the growth of faith from little to greater, from yeah. early faith to late faith, I yeah. think that's one really good interpretation. I think another really good interpretation is the idea of from the doctrine of justification to faith to the actual faith, which is maybe the exact same thing as what you're saying. I mean, just saying in two different ways.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, like most of the time, I don't really know what I'm saying. It's a you know. really,
0: I mean, yeah, you know what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a really difficult, strange phrase. It is. It sounds good. It's rhetorical. And you know, I
1: think I like the the more literal, and I don't know why the most translations don't do this, but I like the literal, out of faith, into, into faith. faith. Yeah. I think why that's, don't they translate it that way? I think that's much clearer than from faith to faith. It's revealed out of faith, well, from, into faith.
0: From faith to faith is kind of literal. Yeah, the it's two. It's not what we have here from from faith for, for faith. faith. Four is, to me, in, in Bible translations, that's a wiggle word. Yeah. That's like, well, we don't know how to do this. <laughs> yeah, We're going to put four in. I mean, like, for... uh, if they would have translated Acts 238 correctly, you know, instead of no. just for the forgiveness of sins, if they had said for the purpose of the forgiveness of sins, uh, how, how different would things be today? Yeah. You know? so, but, that's getting way off track, and I know. But mm-hmm. I, that that's enough to chew on, right? That's a pretty big think section. Yeah, I've
1: got a lot to chew on right
0: here. Yeah, I've got a lot so to man, we need to take a break, right? We'll take uh, yeah, a break. Yeah, get a cup of coffee. And get, get, stretch our legs a little bit, and we'll come back and give a practical discussion of, of what we've been studying.
1: Okay, so as we get into our last section of the podcast here, a lot of application and there's gonna be no shortage of application with this entire book.
0: No, not at all. Yeah,
1: Romans has a, it's so practical the whole thing, and I know we mentioned the first half is kinda of doctrinal or not the first half. First eleven chapter is kinda of doctrinal and then the remaining five are a little more practical, but the whole thing is just filled with practical application so we're just going to kind of pick a few that we enjoy uh, probably not exhaustive but at least a few uh, verse 12 as well let's go ahead and do 11 and 12 for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you that is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith both yours and mine and I think this idea of mutual encouragement is very important. Uh, for everybody, uh, you know, there's, there's so much to be said. There's a reason for when you show up to a worship service and there's, I don't know, you know, there's 50 extra people there that given Sunday or Wednesday night, it, uh, it encourages you. It makes oh, you feel, uh, maybe, uh, stronger in your faith. Just the encouragement of knowing someone else is living the same kind of life you are. Uh, right. modeled after Christ, I mean.
0: And, and you know, people need to understand from a teacher or a preacher's point of view, or even from the people who are at church, uh, that the the reverse of that is that when people don't show up to church, it's yeah. discouraging. Yeah. It really is. I mean, when you go to church and there's no reason for it, there's just a low crowd... Not even, you know, just walking in and seeing a room that's half mm-hmm. empty is discouraging. Yeah. And so present, just the presence of brothers and sisters together is encouraging. And I know it just sounds like I'm talking numbers. I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. not numbers. It's just right. knowing that it's, it's, Oh, it's, it's
1: something here that Paul, I mean, because Paul knows the Roman Christians are there. He knows yeah. they're there, and he's probably... Well, it says he's encouraged by their faith. Maybe not encouraged, but he's. He says, um, "I thank God through Christ Jesus because, or for all of you, because of your faith." Mm-hmm. So he knows who they are. He knows about their faith, and you know we haven't even mentioned the background of the city of Rome. I'm pretty sure everybody knows uh, about Rome at this time period. How pagan the society is in Rome, and yet these people, their faith is still known throughout the world. So they are overcoming some big obstacles in Rome and yeah. you know that's encouraging first and foremost well, but the their presence faith, even
0: yeah their faith uh, what did he say their faith had been proclaimed in all the world yeah
1: everybody knows
0: so these were but there's that's verse eight these, yeah. these were very impressive Christians
1: yeah but even on top of that there's something about the presence he still wants to go and see right. them. So that they can be mutually encouraged. Yes, yeah. So he's sending the letter. Yes, that's going to have some encouragement for the Romans. Uh, but there's still this idea of physical presence. Yeah. Giving you some kind of encouragement.
0: Yeah. So making that real practical, if we say, you know, like somebody hasn't been at church for a long time and you call them and you say, I've been missing you. Well, you know, I'm, I'm with you in spirit. No. You know, you know I'm, you know, I'm, still believing, still living the life, that yeah. that doesn't get the whole job done, you know. Yeah. And, and a lot of people don't realize how encouraging they are, and maybe we need to be better about telling each other that. Yeah. But, um, you know, we need all of our brothers and sisters to get together frequently for this kind of thing.
1: Yeah, and I think you can, I mean, you can see this happening all the time. If you've got a church where, a congregation where people are very involved And excited about what they're doing, and this kind of mutual encouragement is happening. Everybody's really, you know, that attitude spreads everywhere. Yeah. It's infectious. Yeah, Yeah. But when you've got people that have that attitude of, well, you know, I don't really want to, I got this, I got other things to do, I got to do this and another. I can tell you, uh, in working with, in working with college ministry, some when I was an intern in college, and then now working in youth ministry, just one person, in the group, especially when you have a smaller group. If there's one person in the group that doesn't really take the this idea of mutual encouragement uh, seriously, then nobody else is going to. Mm-hmm. If one person is like, oh, well, I, I'm not going to go tonight, then yeah. the rest of them, for some reason, don't think it's that big a deal. They're like, oh, so not going
0: to be there. I don't got to be there. So what you're saying, and I agree with what you're saying, is that Everybody, it takes a whole group to for the encouragement to be infectious. but mm-hmm. only takes one out of the group for the discouragement to be infectious. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of that's, It's kind of scary, but negativity yeah. is more contagious than positivity. Yeah, it's that whole for some thing, reason I don't know why.
1: Yeah, the whole thing about one bad apple. You know, everybody yeah. knows that. Yeah. You can ruin the whole thing. But that yeah, mutual encouragement that idea. Very important, very practical for us to take, uh, even, you know, whatever this Sunday or Wednesday is coming up. Maybe something to think of. It's not a, you know, it's not a like a, well, if you don't come in the doors this time, you know, you're condemned. And a lot of people, I think, think of it the wrong way. You know, mm-hmm. they think of, well, I don't have to go. It's not like I'm going to be condemned if I don't go. Mm-hmm. But where's this idea that Paul has? I guess this is what I'm trying to get right. back to, to bring it full circle. Where's that That attitude of excitement, of looking for that encouragement. Paul has a lot of reasons to not be encouraged to go. He's got to make that trip all the way to Rome. Yeah, He's going to go through all these problems on his way there. He could have just stayed in wherever he was, Corinth probably, and been just as happy as he wanted to be. But he goes anyway because of that attitude, seeking that mutual encouragement for himself and for them. An attitude I would love to see uh, a little more speaking as a minister yeah
0: me too me too uh let's let's get into some attitudes about evangelism Uh, evangelism is very difficult these days uh last sunday i preached on that a little bit and um i was looking at a lot of statistics on evangelism in this country and it's it's scary Mm -hmm. all the numbers are going down across the board all evangelistic strategies i don't care which ones you're using all evangelistic strategies are in a decline in terms of effectiveness yeah so we've got to really work on our attitude and i've heard people say you know in this country it's just impossible to do evangelism and so they quit trying but Mm -hmm. i don't i don't think that we should be that way i think rome as you have said was you know a worse place than america is today yeah and uh you know paul had this attitude that's brought out in verses 14 15 and 16 there are three attitudes that he had and the first one was an attitude of obligation I am under obligation both to Greeks and to to barbarians both to the wise and the foolish so he felt indebted in fact um, the King James says I am a debtor to these people because he had been saved from being a terrible person from being a sinner persecuting the church and the grace of God had put him under an obligation to to share what had saved him with other people. Yeah. He couldn't just have this. It's like if if you have have been cured of cancer, and you know about mm-hmm. the cure, and then you have a friend or an acquaintance or a complete stranger who's suffering from the same thing and about to die, would you keep? How awful would you be to keep that to yourself? That'd be a yeah. terrible thing to do. Oh yeah. But when you're saved by the gospel and you're surrounded by sinners who are lost and dying, and you keep it to yourself, that's what you're doing. Yeah. The same thing. The second attitude is eagerness. You know, verse 15, he says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Uh, how many of us are really eager about preaching the gospel? I think it yeah. all goes into his remembering what the gospel had done for him. Yeah, and He was eager.
1: And I think that... That first one you have there, obligation, can lead you to two different directions. It can lead you to a, man, I have to do this. Or it can lead you to this eagerness of... Oh, yeah. You know, because yeah. you're thinking... I Just to think of your illustration based on a disease like cancer. You can think, man, i got to go out and tell everybody... That there's so many people out there that need to hear this, and i got to go do this. Or you can think, man, look how many people I can help. Yeah, I need to go out and...
0: I have as the much, cure. yeah, yeah,
1: and I think both of those are. You mentioned uh, the evangelism strategies are in decline. I think a lot of the, and I don't mean to be negative, but I think the attitudes, oh, the positive attitudes yes. on evangelism, are in the decline as well. And perhaps those two things are related. Maybe if the positive mm-hmm. attitudes went up, the strategies would go up because the strategies are not as important.
0: They're just tools. Yeah, if you're trying to
1: teach somebody the gospel, you know, I don't think the most important thing is, well, did you knock on their door? Did you send them a pamphlet? Did you send them an email? Did you send them a text message? Did you have a billboard on the side of the road? I don't think either one of those methods is the magical, you just do this and it's easy. It's the attitude, really, behind how serious are you about trying to spread the word. Right. If you're more serious about it, if you've got these attitudes right, and I don't mean to bog you down before you get done, mm. but uh, if you've got these attitudes right, I think you'll see these strategies increase.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, the, the third attitude is um, not being ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And, uh, you know, the the hard truth is A lot of Christians are ashamed of the gospel. Um, They're embarrassed that they believe in God and believe in Jesus Christ and believe in the crucifixion and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus and that they believe that that is the best thing in the world. Um, And so they don't put him first. They hide their faith. And a lot of this is, you know, tying into what we've already said about the problems the church is having with yeah. evangelism, but those three attitudes—you um, know—an attitude of obligation, an attitude of eagerness, and a—and a, could we even go so far as to say a pride in the gospel? Yeah. Well, um, you know, yeah, Paul Paul's says we can boast in Christ. Yeah. You know, so that—that's kind of what not being ashamed is, if yeah. you stated positive as a positive.
1: And I wanna I wanna bring this up to kind of put this in perspective for us. The thing that makes us ashamed is definitely our culture. You know, a lot of people now think if you believe in God, you don't have much intelligence, or you're very gullible, or maybe you're more primitive. I know, like the big push in modernism is um, well, they want religion. I'm trying to think. I saw a guy with a quote on this, and I'm trying to remember what his name was. Uh, but basically, he thinks religion is a primitive thing, and he'd like to see humanity uh, outgrow it, religion. Yeah. And so that's yeah. kind of the you know the the culture, the worldview we're thrown into. Right. Well, think about
0: don't the, believe in science. You know this. Yeah. Well,
1: think about it's, this it's, worldview it's, that Paul and the Romans are contradicting to pagan society. A lot of them, you know, are polytheistic with the gods of Rome. Uh, that I'm sure you're all familiar with. And I want to put this uh, unashamed uh, verse here in a little bit of context. If you back up to the verse before, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. So I'm eager to preach the gospel. And then he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God. So he says, look, I'm eager to come preach in Rome because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Well, in Rome... The, there's a lot of cultural pressure on you to be ashamed of the gospel. Here's an example of that. Uh, Everett Ferguson uh, wrote this in his uh, commentary on Romans. He says, The popular ridicule of Christianity in Rome is seen in the graffiti scratched on a stone in the guard room on Palatine Hill near the Circus Maximus in Rome. The figure of a man with the head of a donkey is shown hanging on a cross. Nearby another man raises his hand in a gesture of adoration and the inscription reads, Alexanimous worships his God. Jews had been charged with worshipping a donkey, uh, thus this kind of disgrace had been transferred to Jesus. a repulse As repulsive as the picture is to Christians now, it conveys strongly how contemptible the idea of a crucified Lord was to pagan thinking.
0: I've heard about that inscription, and uh, I believe that is the earliest extant, extant uh, description of a crucifixion that we have on record. Really? Or at least the earliest wow. extant cruci- uh, depiction of the crucifixion of Christ. Yeah. Uh, I think that's more more exact, and it's very negative Yeah, and mocking.
1: Oh yeah, extremely so.
0: Blasphemous, and if you know, know,
1: if Paul and the Romans can work through that kind of thing and not be ashamed, Mm -hmm. then I and I understand there's a lot of blasphemous things out there still about Christ. Now, usually, they're uh, I mean I hate to say they're not done in as poor a taste because it's all pretty bad taste to do it in any way. But usually, you know, people stay away from mocking the crucifixion. You know, they might mock other things wow. about Jesus. But Anymore. if you... I mean, even even uh, popular things on TV now, and uh, I'll bring this up. We can edit this out if we want to. But I remember uh, in college, a real popular TV show is that animated show that's been insanely popular, Family Guy. And I'm not on here to bash some kind of thing. And, you know, it's kind of funny. It's inappropriate. But, man, there was one in particular episode where they did, I mean, it was awful. Awful. They were just mocking Christ. I mean, it was, I, I, I just quit watching it, got did something else, and I hadn't watched the show again. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's crazy to me, though,
0: that, that that's this kind why of mocking. People are hiding, you know, yeah. and ashamed now because, but, you know, they ought to be ashamed, not us. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're, we're yeah. we've got nothing to be ashamed of for believing in Jesus Christ. I mean,
1: just on a basic ethics uh an ethical level, you know, yeah. minus religion, it's I mean, it's very poor taste. Yeah. To it's
0: it's a herd mentality to give in to shame over the yeah. gospel. Hey, real quick, uh let me go through a seven-point outline of this theme um in verses 16 and 17 where Paul says he's not ashamed of the gospel, it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And it is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. Um, First of all, you have the source of the gospel is God. Number two, you have the nature of the gospel is the power of God. Number three, the purpose of the gospel, it's for salvation. Number four, the scope of the gospel, everyone. Jew first, also the Greek, but everyone. Uh, Number five, the reception of the gospel. It's not going to, you know, lead to salvation for everybody, but the reception of the gospel is everyone who believes. Mm -hmm. The people who don't believe, it's not universalism. The people who don't believe are not saved. Number six, the efficiency of the gospel. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed. So later, I love the phrase in Romans 3. Uh, God is both just and the justifier of the one who believes in Jesus. So yeah. it'll demonstrate his righteousness in saving people from sin. And number seven, the outcome of the gospel, the righteous man shall live by faith. And we talked about the dual nature of that statement. Is he talking about the righteous man will walk by faith or is he saying he will he will have life, he will survive by faith? And, you know, he's probably leaning toward the idea that he will survive, he will be saved by faith. Yeah, but also included is that stuff you get in chapters twelve and following of walking by faith. Yeah, so that's the outcome of the gospel. It changes. It saves you first, and then it changes you into a person that lives differently than the rest of the world. Yeah, and that—that's what he's saying here. Yeah, it's a theme in
1: all of Paul's writings, Um, and that's kind of what Habakkuk I think was referring to in the original. quote there, because Habakkuk is prophesying to the nation of Israel about the coming destruction of Babylon. So where he mm-hmm. says in there, the righteous will live by faith, he's saying, well, if you want to survive this, uh, what's coming, then uh, you're going to survive by faith. Now that also means you're obviously going to be living a life that is lining up with that
0: faith. Yeah. So I
1: think both of those interpretations Right. I, are- I'm
0: not sure Habakkuk even meant one or the other because... Um, you know, at the end of Habakkuk he's like and we've done an episode on Habakkuk, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, he's at the end he says, you know, even if God destroys everything, I'll I'll be faithful to him. Yeah. So he's like, you know, we'll we'll still live by faith even though it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. You know, um, because he it does make sense because he trusts God. Yeah. Um so wow, what a way to end um an episode. Uh we uh we got a lot to chew on here with Romans oh, yeah. we're just getting started so um, join us keep watching your iTunes feed for the next one to come out or go to the 66.net check out, check that out frequently for new episodes or follow us on Twitter that's another way you yeah. can see when a new episode's out now we have a Facebook page go on there and like us um, do do everything you can to spread the word because we feel good about what we're doing here and we're really trying to get the bible covered it's taken us a while it's going to it's a big book 66 Mm -hmm. books so uh keep following us and spreading the word and we appreciate it we'll see you next time